we're going to start by opening our Bibles and turning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. I'm going to start off by reading it. Starting in verse 1. It says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can have today, Lord. Even earlier this morning when we could take the time to remember the goodness of your Son, what he's accomplished on our behalf, and the freedom that we have now, uh, that we can come before you, not, uh, not held back by the sin that entangles us, uh, that came between uh, us coming to you, Lord, that you came to us and you've saved us. Uh, Lord, as we look into your word today, Lord, we pray for wisdom, uh, for clarity of thought and speech, uh, and that you would um, be working on all our hearts, Lord, as we know that your word is powerful uh, and it can change lives. So we pray for that today, Lord. We pray that your words would bring life to where there's deadness and where there's brokenness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, just based on everybody's reaction to when Sean introduced it, I realize this maybe is going to be a bit of a tough... I don't know how to approach this. But anyways, we're going we're gonna to start off by talking and saying, when we look at the world around us and we're, we're, we're confronted with the idea of dating, there's a lot of advice that floats around out there whether it's daytime TV talk shows that are talking about it, or maybe it's even well-intentioned grandmothers talking to their, to their granddaughters about how to attract a spouse. Um, there's, there's advice all over the place, and the world is, is excited and very interested in trying to give us advice on how, on how people should be approaching the idea of dating, how we as Christians should be dating. And so... When, when we were sitting around and introducing or trying to figure out sermon topics and I was asked to approach this idea, um, because I've been relatively recently experienced in dating, Emily and I haven't been married for too long, and so what I'm hoping to do today is to hopefully give a Christian worldview on how we as Christians, and especially uh, those of us in generations where we're approaching that phase of our life or where, whether we're currently in that phase, uh, how we can do so in the wisdom of God's word, and also how the gospel can impact even how we approach this issue. So in order to prepare, uh, I decided, as any good plans would start off with, to Google what's out there. See what the internet, what the best advice I could find out there. And seriously, article after article, blog after blog, And so I decided to take the liberty to read through a couple of them and just see maybe if there was some pieces of information that might have been helpful for me when I was dating or I could use and maybe give to some of you. Some of the, there was, there was quite a few comical ones that I did find. And one of them was this quote. It said, want to convince the person sitting across from you that you two are totally on the same wavelength? It's easy. Just make a point of subtly mimicking their body position and the pacing of their movements. Sit the way your date is sitting. Tilt your head the way he or she does. Talk at the same speed. On a subconscious level, people find similarity comforting, which paves the way for a stronger connection. 
Now, I'm trying to think back on the first date that I went on with Emily. If I was to tilt my head like she did and swirl my drink at Starbucks the way she was, I don't know, maybe that would have helped us both relax. You guys can be the judge on that. But in all seriousness, what I learned um, or what hit me when I, was, when I was just doing that quick internet search on what I found was that there's so much advice out there and people are asking for help, right? When, one thing that I saw was that there's currently 8,000 dating websites that are in operation around the world. 8,000 of them. And they exist because people are using them. I don't want to say that using the internet to network, uh, to meet people is wrong. Uh, but what I am saying is that with, with the abundance of all these blogs and articles and papers that people are writing to give advice, it's telling us a story that, that something's not working and that something's broken. And I think one of the sad things is, is that the advice that, that I was reading uh, in a lot of ways, is the very thing that's perpetuating the cycle of brokenness that we see around us. Uh, and, and no more is it um, shown more clearly than when we see what we think as successful dating relationships become marriage relationships that then fall apart. So today, again, as I was saying, I hope that this is a time where we can be encouraged um, all of us can be encouraged. And for those of us who are thinking about dating or are dating, that it can be a time where we can be challenged to embrace the wisdom of God's word, that we can see who God is, that he is a God that as a loving father would to any of his children, wants us to find success in this area of our life. And that we can see as well that the gospel has impact, it has influence on how we even approach it right now. So as I said, Emily and I have been married for only a short time, uh, 239 days, actually. Now before some of you younger girls start swooning about the fact that I know how, how many days, just remember that the older women here aren't so easily impressed. If they've been married for a while, they want to see me cooking dinner or changing a diaper or something. But I hope not to disappoint you when I'm up here by saying that as we look at dating, I'm not going to be going through a list of the 10 steps to a successful dating relationship. or follow these 10 steps and for sure you're going to have success. What I hope to do is that as someone a little closer in age to people who are going through this issue and having gone through it recently myself, I hope to relay a message, um, the message that the Bible has been consistently telling throughout time and a message that the people here who are older and more mature who are married uh, the message that they can attest to because they've validated it through their own experience. So as we, as we look at today, um, what I'm going to be talking about, I want to look at two things. Briefly, first of all, the way that the world approaches dating. And then we're going to look at the Bible's approach. Uh, and it might sound weird, the Bible's approach to dating. What does that look like? Because the word dating or courtship doesn't show up in the Bible. But the Bible does have a lot to say in how we approach this area. So first, the world's approach. I think it's a consistent message that we're hearing. Whether it's daytime TV shows, like I mentioned, um, movies, the music that we listen to, magazines that we read. The message that we're hearing is that dating is a time that should be carefree 
with no consequences, and it should be about you finding what you want and, what, and feeling the way that you want to feel. I think uh, the, the most typified example of what we see in our culture of dating can be uh, seen on a TV show that maybe some of you are familiar with called The Bachelor. And I have only very, very little know about what, what goes on on that show. But basically what happens on that show is that there's a group of women who are brought in and one man is meant to pick his future spouse from this group of women. And it's, it's almost a little bit ridiculous when you think about it uh, that all these women are vying for the attention of one man we have to realize that society as a whole around us loves this kind of thing. It's been going on for 19 seasons, I found. The thing, though, is that this show is telling us something about how we should be approaching dating. For men, it's telling us that as men, what we should be looking for is outward beauty and that we shouldn't be afraid to experiment and try out as many different partners as we can find until we find the one that pleases us the most. For women, it's telling us that we should be doing everything we can to try and attract a man, even if that means using and, uh, our outward beauty, especially our outward beauty. What it's telling us is that if our partner doesn't meet all of my expectations for what I want, if it doesn't meet my, my needs for attention, uh, for, for personal ambition, and making the most out of myself, then I should leave. I should get out. The world wants us to believe that dating is a time of freedom with no consequences. And the thing is, is that that's simply not true. The system is broken. And the reason why it's broken is because it's motivated by the desires of broken people. And the Bible's verdict about this is that it's pretty clear that the consequences, when we pursue the desires of our brokenness, that the outcome of these things is death. And as Gio was talking about before today, that this world is passing away. It's not life. It leads to death. So without dwelling there too long, I want to look now at the way that the Bible approaches this topic. Even as Christians, sometimes it can be tough in this area to try and understand uh, that the Word of God, as given to us in the Bible, how it seems to fit in, how it's relevant to even this issue. But what we understand about the Bible, what we know when we start to really look at it, is that it was written by a specific person to a group of specific people who were dealing with something at that time that the writer thought it was important enough to have a letter written about it. And it's addressing a specific need or issue that the people are going through. So as we look at the book of Colossians today, what we, just quickly, what we need to understand about this church here is that the, the church in, Col- in Colossae was a group of young Christians, and it, they were generally a healthy group of believers, What had happened is the gospel had come to Colossae and they had accepted it and they'd embraced it. And it was was bearing fruit in their lives and it was making a difference in the world around them. And Paul heard about this and so he he was trying to encourage the the group of people there uh, to stay on, to hold fast to the gospel that they'd heard. 
At the same time, though, uh, there was a message that was coming from outside the church, and it was being pressed on the people there. And the message that was being pressed on the people was that Jesus is okay, but there's more. That, that Jesus is good, and it's, it's fine if you want to, to obey what he says, but at the same time, if you just stay with Jesus and following simply him, then somehow you're unenlightened because there's, there's more fullness, there's more life that can be found outside of Jesus in pursuing a different religion. And when I, when I stepped back and, and was thinking about this, I couldn't help but notice the similarity between the message that we as Christians, and especially as young Christians, uh, the same message is being told to us when we approach dating. That it's okay to be a Christian, but you're missing out if you don't pursue things outside of what the Bible says. That in somehow we're being held out on by following God and, and what he says in his word. That there's more fullness, there's more joy, there's more happiness and excitement that can be had. I think that in some ways, in recognizing that, that that is an encouragement to me, to know that while the coat on the message may be a little bit different, the message that, that the group in Colossae was hearing, the message that we're hearing, it, it may look a little bit different, but when it comes down to it, it's telling us the same thing that we're to be looking outside of what the Bible says for our fullness and our happiness. We're to be looking outside of the gospel message. And so I think the encouraging part about that is that because our God has stayed the same, He doesn't change, His message hasn't changed, His truth hasn't changed, and therefore the solution that we have to this same message remains true, it remains steadfast, and it remains real. So as we turn and we look at at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the first words that it says is, If then you've been raised with Christ. Now when we hear those words, when we've been raised with Christ, what do we think of? Or what what is the thing that's twigged in our mind first? Uh, Maybe for those of us who've been around the Bible, uh, grown up in the church, we we think of similar sounding passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 when it talks about us being raised with Him and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This idea of being raised with Christ is something, it's a progression of thought that actually Paul's been talking about a little bit earlier in the book. If we were to look back in chapter 2, it talks about how we've died with Christ and we've been buried with Him. And now we're coming partway through and it's saying that we've now been raised with Christ. There's a similar passage in Romans that talks along these same lines. And uh, if, if we were to look throughout the Bible at, at what the Bible says about this, this being dying with Christ, being buried with him, and being raised with him, we would see it scattered throughout, right? Galatians 2.20 says, uh, If we've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What this idea is saying is that our position has completely changed. What it's saying is that we who've been crucified with Christ, what part of us was crucified? I was talking with Gio about this. Uh, When we've been crucified with Christ, what does that mean? What it means is it's talking that this old part of us, this sinful uh, part of us that was tied up in the old creation, it's, it's the connection that we have with the line of Adam. And what it's saying is that that part of us was placed in Christ when he was on the cross. 
So for those of us who have accepted Christ, that part of us is done. It's died. It's been done away with. And the link that we have to that old part of us, that old sinful part, in position has been done away with. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 talks about our life before Christ, this old part of us, this old nature, this, this part that was tied up in Adam. It talks about the way that we followed the course of the world. It talks about us uh, going after the ways of the prince of the power of the air and that we were by nature, all of us, children of wrath. We were slaves to sin and we were held captive by it. Uh, the thing is, though, is that when we're talking about this idea that we've been crucified and now raised, what it's saying is that that link has been broken and we no longer are to represent or resemble what's talked about in the beginning of Ephesians 2. I think the, the way that I tried to think about this in my head, uh, and forgive me because this illustration does fall short if you look at it too closely, but I remember growing up uh, going to a childhood friend's birthday party and we went to this fun house where there's a bunch of different games that you can play. There was indoor mini-golfing. There was basketball nets to shoot on. But there was one game that I remember in particular that everybody wanted to play, and it was the game of slot cars. Are you guys familiar with, with what slot cars are? They're basically miniature cars that are powered. And so you stand on the side of the racetrack, and you watch the cars go around, and as you squeeze the trigger, the car gets powered. But the way that the car is guided is it has this blade on the bottom of it that goes down into a groove, and it follows around the course. And so as you squeeze the trigger, the car goes back and forth, following the groove and continuously going around until the end of the track. And the way that I was thinking about this was that our life before we came to Christ resembled that slot car. That our car was not powered by an engine. Our life was not powered by some little car engine, but it was powered by our own selfish ambition, our own sinful desires, our own motivations. Those were the things that drove us to do what we did. And rather than following a slot in a track, what we were doing is we were following the course of the world, not as if we had no choice, but we were willingly and gladly doing so. But the illustration that, that I'm trying to make to what we were just talking about is that after we've accepted Christ, that blade in the bottom of our car that had us following the course of the world is broken. And instead, in its place, we're given a new blade that it's set on a different course, that follows a different track through life. And rather than being powered by our own selfish motivations and ambitions, we're, we're now powered with a new life in Christ, that the Holy Spirit works in us. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who lives. And because of so, we've been raised to have a new life and a new pattern to walk in. As we look back at uh, Colossians 3, if you then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. When I first read that, the, the idea of seeking the things that are above or setting your mind on the things that are above, it's almost the first impression that you can get is almost that you're being uh, instructed to be almost some detached, meditative, out-of-body kind of experience where you've almost lost track of what's going on in the world around you and you're, you're, your head's in the clouds almost. Uh, 
you, you've lost touch with reality in the world that's going on around you. I don't think that that's really what, the, what Paul's trying to get at here when, when he says, seek the things that are above or set your mind. If we were to, to let our eyes fall down uh, further in the, in the book of Colossians chapter 3, we would see that Paul follows this passage up with one of the most practical day-to-day in-and-out instructions on how a Christian is supposed to live. Right? It talks about how we're to interact with other people. It talks about husband and wife relationships, family relationships, work relationships. It's very practical advice that follows this. And so when it says seek or set your mind on things above, it's not talking about some detached meditative experience where, where your head's in the clouds. It's talking about something else. When Paul is saying, seek the things that are above, or set your mind on the things that are above, what he's saying is that our focus should not be on pursuing the things that are here, the, motiv- the things that motivated us before of our own selfish ambitions. What he's saying is that we've been raised to a new reality in Christ, and that's where our minds should be focused on, in finding who we are, finding our identity. When we seek and when we set our mind on things above, we're remembering what the Lord has accomplished on our behalf. We're, we're being thankful to Him uh, for the fact that we have a new life, that we don't, no longer have to follow the way of the world. He's telling us to recognize and to remember the truer reality of who we are and where our identity now lies. We've been rescued, we've been placed in Christ and as Ephesians chapter, or, sorry, as Colossians 3 verse 4 says, that we have the expectation now of, of not that this world is passing away, but that we will be received up into glory. And that is our final result. Who we are is no longer tied to the way of the world here. And when I think about the idea of dating and as it applies to this, when I seek and when I set my mind on things above, rather than on things at earth, how should that impact the way that I approach dating? And I thought of three ways in particular uh, that, I, that I think that I encountered uh, during my experience of dating. The first one is, what, I, what I'm hoping to do is contrast how maybe we would approach dating before being a Christian versus now that we've been raised to new life. The first way is when we would pursue status versus pursuing servanthood. I think it's no surprise when we look at the fact that we like to feel like we're important. And so trying to find somebody to date or to marry who makes us feel important, that is something that all of us are drawn to. We want to feel important. We want... When, when, we, when we look at TV shows, they're always about important people. They're about lawyers. They're about doctors. They're not about plumbers. They're not about electricians, right? We want to feel important. And, and a lot of times that comes out in us trying to pursue people who the world views as important. But as I seek and as I set my mind on things above... Rather than being interested in pursuing the things that the world finds as important, rather than being interested in trying to receive the world's um, appreciation and attention and affection as being recognized as important, when I seek and when I set my mind on things above, I want to pursue the things that God is interested in. I want to spend my life the way that God would have me to spend it, 
to follow the path that he would have me follow. And so when I see that in somebody else's life, that's what draws me to them. That's what draws me to them, not because they can make me feel important, but because I see in them that they have started to seek and to set their mind on things above, which is what I want to be doing as well. So number one was status versus servanthood. Number two was beauty versus a quiet and gentle spirit. I can remember growing up, my dad used to tell me this quote. I'm sure you have all heard the first part of it, that beauty is skin deep. We've all heard that, but he used to generally follow it up with the idea that ugliness runs to the bone. Now, I want you to be careful. God's not done with my dad yet. So, um, But beauty is skin deep. And we can all see that, but at the same time, we're told again and again and again that beauty is the most important thing that we should be seeking for. Uh, I don't want to say that it's Hear what I'm saying here. I don't think it's bad to be attracted to your spouse. I think it's a very good thing. I think that that's the way that God intended it to be. I mean, I don't think any of you would criticize me for thinking that Emily is beautiful. (laughs) Jerry. (laughs) But what I am saying is that it's not the most important thing. And the world over and over again is telling us that it is what we should be searching for. Whether it's TV shows or whether it's our friends sitting beside us in class, we're, we're told a message that outward beauty is so important. But the Bible tells us a different message. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, it says, speaking to women, it says, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. How countercultural is that, right? Let me just read that again. Let, the, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What does it look like to have a gentle and quiet spirit? When somebody is seeking and setting their eyes, setting their mind on things above, they're no longer fighting for their own rights. They're no longer fighting to get what they can, to meet their own needs. When they're seeking and setting their mind on things above, they're they're resting in the promise that, that they have a new life, that God has provided all that they need already. And so they're pursuing the things after him. It's far too often we see young men in the world around us, even Christian young men, being attracted to and pursuing women. And our young women are being told to be like and wanting to be like women who have an outward beauty that's perishing but inward in their spirit, there's an ugliness that runs far deeper than the bone. Again, what 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So that was number two, beauty versus a quiet and gentle spirit. And number three, the third contrast that I thought of, was seeking for wealth versus seeking a co-laborer. I think it's no surprise when we look around us that people are motivated to marry rich, right? There's, there's a lot of examples of that happening. 
And you can see in some ways why that might be an attractive thing, to marry somebody who's rich. You know, never having to work a day in your life, getting to spend your time lounging around a pool in your house in California, or the one in Greece, or whichever house you're living at in the time. Right? There's, you can see the draw for that. But even from my short time being married, one of the things that I'm so thankful for, it's not that Emily has a job now, so, so that we're more wealthy, it's the idea that when, when I come to church here, uh, when I'm involved in the things here, serving the Lord here, or even, even at home, inviting people into our home uh, to tell them about the Lord Jesus, what I've come to, to understand and to realize is that I have somebody walking alongside me who cares for the same things that I care about, who wants to have their life poured out for the same things that I want to have my life be poured out for working alongside me. Not a life of ease and comfort, but rather a life of work beside one another, having our lives poured out for the Lord in the same way. That's been an incredible blessing, even as I've reflected on it. So today we've looked at how the world approaches dating and hopefully how how the Bible changes things, how the gospel changes the way that we can approach dating and how we can seek for qualities in a spouse. And the fact is, I think that while it's good what we've covered already, uh, I'd be falling short today if we didn't discuss the issue of when you or I fall short in our dating relationships. Looking back, uh, I do feel naive, but but it was true of me that when I thought of dating, I thought, you know what, I'm a Christian. I understand the gospel. I understand what the Lord Jesus has done. Uh, I know the Bible pretty well. You know, I can recite verses. And so as a result of that, you know, dating shouldn't be that hard. It should be pretty easy. I, I won't have a tough time following what the Bible says about it. And experience has led me to understand this truth that I know that I've been raised with Christ and I want to follow him with my life. But at the same time, I still feel a struggle or a pull from sin in my life. That isn't totally gone. In some ways, there's still a taste for sin in my fleshly desires. And I know that God is working in my life to shrink my appetite for sin and praise God for that. And and for all of us who experience that, it's an incredible thing to recognize that the, God, that the God of this universe has stepped down and is growing our appetite for the things of Him and no longer the things of this world. But the truth still stands that we still feel a pull. All of us do. And if at any time in my life I felt the pull, it was during this time. The struggle's real, and we all face it. The Bible talks about this this continuing struggle that we have with sin, and it uses strong words. It uses the word that we're in a war, that our flesh is waging war against our mind. We all fall in many ways. The Bible tells us that. We all fall, and some, some of us maybe only fall in ways that only we know about. They seem small, and if we were to tell somebody about it, you know, people might brush it aside and say it's not a big deal. And other, others of us may fall in ways that are more obvious. The thing is that before God, 
Sin is sin. But wherever we fall on that spectrum, praise God the gospel hasn't changed. If we were to step back and look at what Christ has accomplished for us, Christ died for the full punishment of our sin. Right? In, in, in Colossians chapter 2, it talks about this record of debt that outlined all of our responsibility for sin. And that was nailed to the cross with Christ. It's been done away with. And what that means is that if Christ has paid for the full punishment of our sin, that means that he's aware of the extent of our sin. He knows, even better than we do, the full extent of our sin. It's not like it's something that we're hiding. He knows about it already. And the thing is, is that if, if we've come to him in repentance and asked for forgiveness, that that has been dealt with. Like we've been saying, this, this man, this old part of us that was crucified with Christ and has now been raised to new life, we can experience new life now. The old man being crucified means that shame and guilt about our sin no longer identifies who we are. And as our standing is before God, we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. And because of that, rather than living with shame and guilt about sin, we can stand before God recognizing our own unworthiness, but the worthiness of the Lord Jesus and be thankful for the fact that he has welcomed us as children into his family and that we no longer can expect judgment for what we've done, but we live confident with the expectation to be with him in glory, completely free from the presence of sin in our life. In conclusion, uh, today what we're talking about can sometimes be a difficult issue to talk about, to approach, especially with with older people. You know, it might be easier to talk to friends around us, but especially to talk about this in church or with older people who've maybe gone through dating and have been married for a while. But the thing is that the, the time of dating, of courtship, <clears throat> is such an important time in our lives, a time of decision-making. And God desires us to have success. He wants us to do what's right. He wants us to follow him. And the reason why he wants us to obey him is that as we obey him, we see the goodness of his plan for our life. We recognize that God is the one who organized the world as it is. And he's the one who set how things are to be done. And so as we follow that plan, we recognize his goodness because we, we can then experience the fullness of life that God's intended. So for those of us who who are approaching dating or are currently in dating, what I want to say is don't hesitate to, to talk to people here, especially here who have already been through this stage, uh, older, more mature Christians. Don't hesitate to ask for wisdom or to talk about questions, no matter how ridiculous they may seem, or the struggles that, that you're having. Don't hesitate, because we've all been through it, and it's but by the grace of God that we are where we are. And for those of us who are older, who have already been through it, who maybe have been married for a long time, we need to be willing and ready to dialogue with those who do have questions. Not to belittle them because of the way 
their lack of understanding or their seeming immaturity. We need to be ready and willing to dialogue with them, ready to share our own experiences that we've had, and ready to talk about the ways that God has shown himself and his goodness in our own lives. Dating is the foundation that we build before we enter marriage. What is the foundation that we're building? I pray that it's a foundation based on the rock-solid truth of the gospel, that we as Christians have been raised to new life so that we can experience and proclaim the goodness of God. And by doing so, we demonstrate to the world around us that for those who have ears to hear, the gospel is the message of hope to a dying world of an all-sufficient Savior who brings wholeness and restoration to every area of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the time that we could have today, Lord, looking into your word. Lord, we pray uh, that you would be changing our lives even now, uh, using your word to bring new life to us, Lord. We thank you that your word is relevant to where we are, Lord, that even even after the number of years uh, that we've had it, that even still now it can speak truth to the exact place where we are. Lord, as we've looked at this issue of dating, we thank you that you've given us hope and that your gospel has provided us a new life and a new way to approach uh, even this time in our life. And Lord, we pray that the Lord Jesus would be honored and glorified in our lives. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.